Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. No matter who you are or where you are, uh, we are a church for you. Now, I need to tell you something. Uh, sometimes, and, and actually it's pretty often these days, um, when I watch the news or even scroll through social media, um, I feel these <coughs> emotions of frustration and even anger beginning to, 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 to rise up in me. And here's why. I see the wrong in the world today. And what gets me frustrated, what gets me angry sometimes is, is when I see how people are choosing to respond to that wrong. Oftentimes, I just don't get it. What about you? Do you see any wrong in our world today, any wrong needing to be fixed have you seen anger on TV? Have, have you seen unkindness, maybe even among your neighbors? Or have you, seen, have you seen bad choices in your home? Now, I would imagine you don't have to look too far to answer yes to that question, that you do see wrong in our world. Now, some of us see many things wrong in our world, and some of us just see a few things. As a matter of fact, I, I would imagine that if I asked you, that we would all see different things things that are wrong in our world today. Now, if I were to have you look a little bit more closely too, you might even be able to see personal relationships that have been broken because of some wrong needing to be fixed. See, no matter what your list is, I would imagine at some point you're asking yourself this question. Can I fix what is wrong? Can I fix what is wrong? Can I fix what is wrong in the world? Can I fix what is wrong in, in my relationships? And it's a great question. And honestly, y'all, it's one that we need to be asking. Now, if you remember Ruth and our study of, of the book of Ruth, Ruth has some wrongs that needs to be fixed, right? She, her family needs protection. Her family needs provision. Her family needs, needs an heir to carry on the family line and to, and to care for the land that they have. And our passage today shows us what I believe is the best way to make a wrong right. And we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. And as you're turning there, we're winding down this series called Pause. We only have this week and next week uh, to finish up Ruth. And, and as, we, as we work through the book of Ruth, what we're seeing is what happens when we hit pause in our life. And today we're going to see what happens when we hit pause to make a wrong right. Now let me tell you what's going to happen after Ruth. Starting November 29th, uh, which is the same Sunday that we move to the, this virtual service from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, uh, we'll be kicking off an Advent series to prepare our hearts and our minds for celebrating Christmas. Now, with this in mind, this year's Christmas Advent series is going to be called Christmas in the City. And here's why we're calling it Christmas in the City. Since we started this church in 2008, we have always had this very strong belief in the importance of working with other churches here in the city of Asheville. See, we're not interested in building a castle called Fellowship Asheville. We're interested in building the kingdom of God here in Asheville. And we've always heard that if you, if you can get 10% of a population to focus on the same thing, it actually begins to impact that other 90% of the population. And Asheville is a city of about 100,000 people in the city of Asheville. Now listen, 
to use that math, 10% of 100,000 is 10,000. And we have no aspirations of being a church of 10,000. But what if, what if instead of a church of 10,000, you had 20 churches of 500 that were all committed to helping each other become healthy congregations and helping each other be, be churches centered on the gospel and watching that, that, that gospel pour into the city? What if those 20 churches were working together to make some wrongs right in our city? What if those 20 churches were working together to, to, to address issues of hopelessness? where hope can be found in the gospel? What if those 20 churches were working together to, to deal with issues of poverty and division and inequity? Now see, that's what we want to be a part of. When, with that in mind, and quite honestly, with 2020 being the year where everything is different, we thought we would try something different for Christmas. So here's what we're doing for this Advent series. Some local pastors and I got together, and we decided to do a pulpit swap during the month of December. So we're going to be working with Brian Robbins at Missy O'Day and Lance Michaels at The Grove and James Nysong at Reach Life. And what we're going to do is we're going to rotate preaching in December. I'll be here the Sunday after Thanksgiving for that November 29th service. And then the others will be here for the next three weeks. And while they're here, I'm at one of their churches preaching. Now here's what we hope happens. We believe that this will be a unique and powerful way to show our congregations and, and in a bigger picture to show this city uh, what the body of Christ looks like, to show unity among the body of Christ, particularly in a season where division is getting so much limelight. And just so you know, too, if you're already thinking about Christmas Eve, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service right here. Uh, we're going to do an in-person service. It's going to be in our parking lot this year instead of indoors. Uh, it's going to be Christmas carols. It's going to be candle lighting. Uh, it's going to be lots of fun. And for those of you who will be joining us virtually, we're also putting something together for you as well. Now, all these plans that I just said are under the caveat of something that 2020 has taught us all to, to understand deeper, and it's this, as the Lord wills, right? All of these plans could change in a heartbeat, but that's what we're planning right now. Well, let's look at Ruth and see the best way to make wrongs right. Now, if you remember from last week, Ruth asked Boaz uh, to fulfill the Old Testament law by marrying her. Remember, it's that Leverite law where if a, if, if a, if a woman uh, was widowed and without children, it was the responsibility of the nearest relative of her deceased husband to marry her and have children with her to carry on the family name and to, and to be able to, to protect the land that belonged to the family. Well, what we found out last week is that Boaz isn't the nearest relative. There is another one. And Boaz wants to marry Ruth, and this is the wrong that he wants to, to make right, but through him we're going to see the best way to make a wrong right. Let's look at verse 1. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Now in, in ancient Israel and in ancient cities, um, the gate was a very important place to be. It was the place where life happened in the city. Oftentimes the gate to the city is where the market of the city was. Uh, it's where official decisions were made. Think kind of like a courtroom. That's what happened at the city gate. And it's the place where relationships happened. And so people were gathered at the gate. Now let's see why Boaz goes there in the rest of verse 1. 
It says, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So Boaz goes to the city gate because he knows this is where everybody in the city will eventually come. And sure enough, the guy that's the closer relative comes to the, to the city gate. Now this guy, we're going to call him Mr. No Name. Because in this chapter, he has no name. And in a book where names have been so important to us, It's also very important to notice that this guy has no name. And so that's what we're going to call him is Mr. No Name. Now in him, what we see is we see the one representing the wrong needing to be made right. But also in this first little verse, we see what I think is probably the most important aspect of making a wrong right. And it's this, that we make wrong right when it's face to face. Now, y'all, if, if you were in Boaz's and Ruth's time, you would take this for granted because all they had was face-to-face relationships. In their time, there was only one type of conversation and one type of relationship, and it was a face-to-face conversation and a face-to-face relationship. The only people Boaz had in contact with were people that he had physical, that he could be in their physical presence with. Now remember, if you remember at the beginning of this book, when when Naomi and Ruth returned back to Israel from Moab, Naomi had been gone for 10 years. Nobody heard from her. Nobody knew how she was doing because they didn't have what we have today. The only relationships they had were those face-to-face relationships. And today, that's very different, right? We have all different kinds of conversations. We have all different kinds of relationships. Thanks to social media and email and, and TV, we have all these different types of relationships, right? For those of you who, who are football fans, for those of you who are into sports, like you have this relationship with your team, don't you? When your team is playing a game, you call them our team. Right now, maybe, maybe you've been to the stadium where they play, or if you're following a college team, maybe it's because that's where you went to college. And so, so, so maybe there is some connection there, and it feels like a real relationship because when your team wins, what do you say? You say, we won, right? But it's not a real relationship. You didn't win anything. You just watched the game, right? But it feels real. Now, social media does this as well. Listen, I have people on Facebook that I haven't seen face-to-face in probably 30 years. But I can tell you the name of their kids. I can tell you what they had for dinner last night. And it feels like a real relationship. But it's, it's, it's not, right? It's, it's, it's a relationship based on likes and emojis and maybe a, a, a sentence or two here or there. It's not a face-to-face relationship, and it's certainly not a face-to-face conversation. And church, here, listen to me. Here's what we have to understand. The best way to make a wrong right is in a face-to-face conversation. In other words, it's not through email. It's not through text. And it certainly isn't through social media. Y'all, seriously, I want you to understand this, that, that social media nowadays, like especially nowadays, when we scroll through social media, we are scrolling through social media to see who agrees with us. And if we keep seeing the same people disagreeing with us over and over and over again, even though we may not comment on what they say, we may not like what they say, we just block them, right? We just don't want to see their stuff anymore. 
You see, social media is not a place where wrongs can be made right. We need to understand that. The best place for a wrong to be made right is a face-to-face relationship, a face-to-face conversation. Where next we're going to see what helps when it's a face-to-face relationship. Verse 2 says this. It says, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Now, what Boaz does next, he's got, this, he's got Mr. No Name with him. They're at the city gate. He pulls ten elders together. Now, these ten men represent the wisdom of the city. They have seen it all, and, and, and all they can, they can help Boaz right this wrong, right? Now, if you come into my office, you're going to see a picture on my wall. And you'll see this picture of five African men, uh, and that picture hangs on my wall. See, uh, when I was a missionary, I did some work in this village in Cameroon, and these were the elders of the village. And every day they would come and sit on that one bench, and in them resided the wisdom and experience of the village. In them resided the history of the village. Any decision they made for the village was law. This is what Boaz did. Because he wanted to make sure that the wrong he wanted to make right lined up with wisdom. And so for you, does the wrong that you want to make right line up with wisdom? And here's what I mean with that. Does it line up with God's word first? And then does it line up with the wisdom of godly people? You see, we make a wrong right with God's word. And so what this means is when you see a wrong that you want to make right, can you point to passages? Can you point to themes in Scripture speaking to the wrong that you want to make right? Now, this may require some, you to do some digging in the Scriptures, right? It may require you to spend time in your Bible looking through an index or a concordance in the back of your Bible if you have one. If not, there's plenty of online tools to use. One of my favorites is the Blue Letter Study Bible, right? That is one of my absolute favorites, and it's blueletterbible.org. And here's why it's one of my favorites. If, if there's a word that you want to see how it's used in Scripture, you just type in the word and it pulls up every verse that uses that word. If you want to dig a little deeper and you kind of like to geek out on stuff like this, you, you can see the, the Greek, if it's a Greek word, or see the Hebrew, if, 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 it's, if it's translated into Hebrew. Like you can see what it meant to the people who originally read it, and I love that. And if that doesn't interest you, like get yourself a good ESV, English Standard Version study Bible. I think it's the best study Bible out there. Like there's plenty of resources and And if you're watching on Facebook right now, I'd love for you to comment, like, what's your favorite biblical resource? What's your go-to when you have questions? Because there's so many resources available, there's really no excuse in not knowing the wisdom of God's Word on the wrong that you want to make right. But there's also this idea, too, after that, after you see what God's Word said, it's great to ask the wisdom of godly people just to make sure you're understanding it correctly. Now, last week I talked about asking for help, and maybe this is, is, is the thing that you need to ask for help in. Maybe seeking out the wisdom of godly people with the wrong that you want to make right, and what's your next move in that. Maybe that's, that's the place for you to ask for help. Well, let's see what's needed in this face-to-face conversation where wisdom is important. Verse 3 says this. It says, Then he said to the Redeemer, 
Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you're not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, so this is Mr. No Name, he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, oh yeah, the day you buy the field uh, from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. And so here's what Boaz did, which I think is smart. He told Mr. No Name the part that would benefit him first, right? Because, because he told him about the land first. And, and for, for Mr. No Name, acquiring the land would mean acquiring more wealth. Because back in that day, land meant wealth. It meant more to provide, more to sell, more land. And then Boaz told him that if he couldn't do it, that's fine because Boaz is the next in line and he would be glad to do it. And then Boaz told him about Ruth being part of that plan. But here we see this next aspect of a face-to-face conversation where wisdom is being sought that I think is important in righting a wrong, and it's this. It's to make a wrong right. We do that with the whole truth, right? We make a wrong right with the whole truth. Now listen, here's why. You can't fix what you don't understand. Right? Face-to-face conversations are the tool that God has designed for understanding. Understanding only happens when all the facts are out there. Now, we don't know why Boaz listed the facts the way that he did, but what's important is to see that all the facts are there. And when you want to right a wrong, the question that you have to consider is, are you putting all the facts out there. Now, y'all, I don't want to harp on social media. I know it's going to sound like it, but here's what social media is very well known for. I have seen very few, maybe not, maybe not any post listing all the facts on a particular wrong. And I say this, y'all, like, like I've been guilty of this too in emotion or maybe just to make a statement. I've made a post that lists the facts that I want to put out there. Right? I'm not even sure that social media is designed to be a place where all the facts can be listed. But I do know a face-to-face conversation is. A face-to-face is a conversation where all the facts can be laid out and where understanding can happen. Well, let's see how this guy responds in verse 6. Let's see how Mr. No Name responds. It says, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself. I cannot redeem it. All right, so notice what he wants to save here. The ESV says that he wants to save his inheritance. The NIV, if the New International Version, if you have that translation of a Bible, says that he wants to save his estate. In other words, Mr. No Name couldn't redeem the land because he wanted to protect what he already had. Right, Because here's what would have happened. He was fine to take the land because that would just expand his estate. But if Ruth was a part of it, that means he would marry her and have kids. And then those kids become heirs to not only her land, but also his land. And all that land gets intermingled. 
And so what he wants to do is he wants to protect what he already has. He wants to protect himself. And here we see something important to make a wrong right, and it's this. We make a wrong right without protecting ourselves. Now here's what's ironic. This guy's name isn't mentioned. And you know what he wanted to save? He wanted to save his name. He wanted to save his family name so that his family name uh, could go on for generations and generations and generations. But here's the deal. We don't even know his name. Now we know Ruth and we know Boaz. And the reason we know Boaz's name is because he wasn't concerned about protecting his name. What Boaz was concerned with was making a wrong right. What Boaz was concerned with was doing what God requires. So what does God require of us? Well, here's what's great. The Bible tells us what God requires of us. In Micah 6, 8, it says this, What does the Lord require of you? There's the question. It says this, To act justly. Another translation says to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us, to do justice. Another way to think of justice is to make wrongs right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, when, when righting a wrong, you must lay down your desire to protect yourself. Because here's why. When you protect yourself, you don't want all the facts. You only want to share the facts that's beneficial to you, right? When you protect yourself, you don't want um, uh, to be under, all you want is to be understood. You don't really want understanding. When you protect yourself, you don't want to change. You want others to change. None of that lines up with that verse that we just saw in Micah. None of that is doing justice. None of that is loving mercy. None of that is walking humbly with God. Because, y'all, this isn't what, that's not what God requires of you or me. This doesn't make a wrong right. Now look at what happens when we do make a wrong right, y'all. Because this is the, this is the plus side of it. When we make a wrong right in a way that matches what God wants for us. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself... He drew off his sandal. So this is Mr. No-Name, took off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day. Uh, Listen, you are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Shelion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have, brought to be my, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from among the gate uh, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now, if you're getting hung up on the fact that Boaz bought Ruth, right? 
okay, just give me just a minute. Hit pause on that because we're going to come back to that, right? But here's what we see. What we see is when we make wrongs right in a face-to-face conversation, when we make wrongs right with the wisdom of God's word and the wisdom of godly people, and when self-protection is denied, there is blessing. Because look at this. Look at what happens next in verse 11. Then all the people who are at the gate. So this is the elders that are there. Uh, This is perhaps even Mr. No Name, right? Because he's still there. And then it's the people that are just watching. It says, all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord had given you by this young woman. And so here's what this blessing is. This blessing is referring to, to, to stories of their history out of, out of Genesis and these stories of, of, of families that had lots of kids. And from those kids came this, this line of the nation of Israel. And so these elders and all the people were blessing Ruth and Boaz. And what they were doing is they were speaking this grand and beautiful future over them. That's what a blessing is. A blessing is when you speak good over someone. And seeing a blessing in that day looked like a large family. Let me tell you what a blessing today looks like. A blessing today looks like you're, you're a person who, who does the work of making a wrong right and you get to be a part of seeing God make change. And, and, and the people that you're working with and the people that you're talking to and the city that you live in, that you get to be a part of the process. Now listen, y'all. I have experienced the incredible joy of seeing a wrong made right. And I've got to tell you, it is awesome. I also want to tell you, I've, I've been a part of the kind of the unbearable at times weight of seeing a wrong being made right hit, hit, hit a, a roadblock because of self-protection. And I'm going to tell you the first scenario is so much better than the second. Seeing a wrong made right and seeing the glory of God in that, there's no other word for it but awesome. And so let me ask you, is there a wrong that you need to make right? Do you, do you need to make a wrong right? And, and, and if so, what is your role in that? Where does a face-to-face conversation need to happen? Where do you need to seek understanding? Where do you need to make sure you're lining up with the wisdom of God's word and the wisdom of God's people? Where do you need to line up with what we saw in that Micah verse to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? Now, here's the deal. If I stopped right here, here's where I would leave us. I think I would leave us with, with one of two things. I think the underlying emotion would be guilt, right? Oh, gosh, now i got to go do something. And you would do one of two things. You would try and produce change, but it wouldn't last in you or in the, or in the thing that you're working with because, because guilt, here's what I've learned about guilt. Guilt is a great motivator uh, for a day or two. Conviction is this, produces this lifelong change. And, and, and what else produces this lifelong change is hope. 
What produces this lifelong change is the stuff that we saw in that Micah verse, humility and love and mercy. So I don't want to leave you with a to-do, right? I want to finish up with giving you a, a beautiful warning, if you will, found in this passage. Because you see, if we take this passage that we see today, and we lay over it what we know to, to be true about the gospel of Jesus. We see this great truth. Because in this, we see this ultimate problem of sin. This, this ultimate wrong that is made right. And so you see, because you see, we too have a Mr. No Name. Right? We too have, have something that promises great things but can't deliver. Our no name actually has a name, though, and it's religion. Now, here's what religion is. Religion is this system of rules that promises hope. It promises humility. It promises love, and it promises mercy. But the problem is religion can never deliver those. Living by a set of rules can never delivered that. In the end, here's what you get. You get guilt, you get shame, you get power, and you get control. Honestly, y'all, you get a lot of the stuff that we see in the news today. A lot of the stuff we see in social media today. And if I stopped a minute ago, I think I would have given you a very good dose of religion. But instead, I want to give you something so much better. I want to give you a little bit of Jesus today. Because our Jesus, he always delivers on his promises. Because if you notice in this exchange, this is the part where I'm coming back. If you notice in this exchange, Boaz said that he bought the land and he bought his marriage to Ruth. Here's what's interesting. Boaz exchanged nothing for that. You see no money exchanged. You see, you see nothing tangible going from Boaz's hand into Mr. No-Name's hand or into anybody's hand. And here's why. What did Boaz offer? He offered a promise. He offered a promise. A promise to fulfill the law of God. Right? That whole Leverite law. He promised to do that. And a promise to provide and protect, and a promise to love. You see, we too have a promise, right? We too have a promise of provision. We too have a promise of protection. We too have a promise of love. And he was promised to come, and he did. The Old Testament whispers his name until you keep reading. It whispers it at the beginning, and then it shouts it toward the end. You see, he was promised to fulfill all the law of God, and he did because he died on a cross which paid the penalty for that sin. And in paying the penalty for that sin and doing away with its power, we have this good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves us and the God who made us. And his resurrection proves that everything that he said and everything he did fulfills all those promises, fulfills that law. It proves that we have a relationship with God, not based on rules, but instead based on Jesus. You see, we 
you and I were the wrong that needed to be made right. And Jesus did that. Jesus did the work of making a wrong right. So what that means is it means that in his name and by his power, we too can be people that do the work of making wrongs right. As a matter of fact, I would like to say, I don't even know that we can do it without Jesus. Right? But there's also another promise that I want to highlight. Because when Jesus was here on earth with his disciples, he gave them another promise because he promised he would return one day. And those that have said yes to his offer of salvation, what that means when he returns is we get to continue this relationship that we have with him all the way through to eternity. And so, so y'all, let me ask you a question. And it's a question preachers have asked as long as they've been preaching. Where will you be on the day that he returns? Will you be one of those that have said yes to his offer of salvation? And if not, let today be the day that you do that. Because just like he fulfilled all of his promises before, he will fulfill that one one day. And he will return. And so if you'd like to know about what I mean when I say yes to Jesus' offer of salvation, it means saying yes to the gospel, yes to the fact that he died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for your sins, and that, that you're placing your faith in him and not in those rules. That's what saying yes to Jesus is. You're saying yes to his offer of salvation, and, and you get to enjoy the love and mercy and humility that he offers you today. Now, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, let me ask you this question. When he returns and fulfills that promise, will you be found doing the work of making wrongs right? Now, y'all, that's an important question for us to ask. It's an important question for the church to ask because what happens oftentimes when the wrongs of society start building up around us, we just kind of hunker down, right? Well, if Jesus was the pro, if Jesus was the expert of making wrongs right, I would imagine uh, when he comes back, he would love to see his people doing the same thing. And so when he returns, will you be found doing the work of making wrongs right? For in Jesus we can come together in face-to-face conversations and seek understanding because we've got Jesus. We can come together with that kind of humility, seeking to do justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly because we got Jesus. We've been shown how to do it because he showed us how to do it. So y'all, I need you to understand Making wrongs right really can change the world. So again, I leave you with this question now. Is there a face-to-face conversation that you need to have to make a wrong right? Well, let me pray for you. Let me pray with you. And if you'd like to have someone on our prayer team pray with you too, you can, you can leave a comment and they would be glad to do that. Let's pray. Jesus you made the ultimate wrong right. You've made uh, the, the, the work of sin that wrong. You have made it right again by your death, burial, and resurrection. And because you made that wrong right and all the other wrongs that you have been working to make right, Father, I ask that you allow us to join you in that work. And for each person that 
that, that hears this, that watches this today, I pray that, that you would give us a very clear wrong that you want us to join you in the work of making right. And then, and then Father, that we would do that, that we would keep in step with your Spirit and do that. Because then you get the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, I love you, and I love being in the church with you, and I'll see you on Facebook Live, and let's keep talking about this. Bye, y'all.